episode of the podcast is brought to you by Mento LLC. That's right, Pete Mento's own trade consulting firm. I mean, it only took me 25 years, but better late than never. Mento LLC is a trade consulting and global economics firm that specializes in the recovery, elimination, and reduction of global tariffs and value-added tax. We also help clients with matters of global trade compliance and cargo security. So if you need help with anything ranging from mock audits to duty drawback for sale for export or just trying to find ways to deal with these dastardly 301 tariffs, reach out. You can find me at pete.mento at mentollc.com. Again, that's pete.mento at mentollc.com or just give us a call at 978-317-3250. Mento LLC. From Washington, D.C., this is Trade Geek Podcast with your host, Pete Mento. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me. I am Pete Mento, your Trade Geek, and this is the Trade Geek Podcast. Today is Tuesday, October the 6th, and I wanted to give you a real quick podcast today concerning the new issue that we appear to be having with the 301 tariffs. Um, you know, we've been talking a lot about them with regards to China, but hey, here's a newsflash, everybody. Um, now it looks like we're going to have an issue regarding the 301 tariffs and Vietnam. Oh, boy. So um, just a long and short of it, guys, if you weren't aware, the way these 301 tariffs work is there is a often unspoke of, actually, it doesn't sound right, so rarely, if ever, spoken of, law called the Tariff Act of 1974, which allows the president through the USTR, the Treasury and the Commerce, to do an investigation of another country to determine whether or not their trade practices are unfair. And if they are, in fact, unfair, to take action against them in the forms of a punitive tariff. If you've been living under a rock, you probably weren't aware of the fact that this has been going on with regards to China now for some time. So... Um, why Vietnam? Well, there has been a, an understanding amongst most people uh, involved in trade with Asia that Vietnam in particular has had two very interesting phenomena. The first is, regardless of where the U.S. dollar appears to be with um, respect to other global currencies, the, um, the Vietnamese currency, which I'm just going to, it's the dong, guys. It's called the dong. Yeah. Um, the Vietnamese dong tends to be about 3% above or below the U.S. dollar. It never tends to either sink dramatically against that global currency. So clearly, even though it's based on a market basket of currencies, it's hedged against the dollar. So we, um, and we watch that pretty closely. And you notice that that can only really be done through currency manipulation. All right. So there's that. Uh, the second thing is, You've got a lot of Chinese production companies who've moved their production to Vietnam. And why wouldn't they? Uh, it, it's, it's kind of like a Switzerland when it comes to China and the U.S. They tend to stay out of things. It is a communist country, but they've had a relatively positive trade, um, trade environment for the United States, for anybody, over the course of the past, I don't know, almost three decades been a lot of foreign direct investment by both uh, U.S. companies and foreign companies over the course of these many years. 
and uh, they're they're growing by leaps and bounds. There are just a ton of people there. I think it's I think it's approaching ninety million. I think is that, that can't be right. I should probably fact check that, but I know that they're growing and growing and growing, and it's a relatively small country. You have a um, a favorable cost of labor. You have a very good um, um, attitude by the local government to keep people employed. One thing you don't have is enough of an infrastructure for logistics, unfortunately, but, you know, they're working on that. So, um, you know, the more the more I look at this, the more I think that this has just as much to do with punishing the Chinese for their investment in Vietnam as it does to deal with the currency manipulation that's happening there. Because let's be honest, guys, this currency manipulation that goes on with all kinds of other countries why did we pick Vietnam? I think the simple answer is because of their very close relationship to, uh, to China. So what happens next? Well, the original case that happened was with regards to tires, and that was quite a while ago. Um, and it turns out that the White House's investigation returned a unfavorable ruling uh, against these uh, against these, this tire manufacturer, and it showed that there was currency manipulation. So they're going to use that as an excuse to uh, continue this investigation. And once they have it, they are completely well within their rights to say there needs to be some sort of a, um, you know, a trade remedy to deal with what's going on here. And that trade remedy is probably going to be a tariff. How much it will be, who knows? But remember um, that the 25% tariffs against China were sort of an opening salvo. I would not be surprised if that were to happen again. Um, it could happen quickly. So uh, don't be surprised, don't be shocked if after a Trump win, if you were to find yourself staring down the barrel of these uh, additional tariffs in the first quarter of 2021, it's entirely possible. And, you know, now that Customs knows how to execute these punitive tariffs, it wouldn't be too hard for them to get it moving. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's a lot to swallow, right? It's a lot to take in in a short amount of time, but it's possible it could be happening all over again. You know, my, my, my time in Vietnam, the times that I've gone, it's an incredible place to do business. Um, but at the same time, it is still a, you know, centrally controlled communist economy and their ability to manipulate their currency as well as the environment where things are, um, are manufactured. It, it's, it's very different than countries in the West. So that in and of itself gives them a bit of an advantage. But, you know, I don't like to speak politically, so I'm just going to speak, you know, from the, the economic standpoint. Countries use the things that they have to their advantage. That's, that's what every country does. It's what we do. It's what the Europeans do. It's certainly what Canada and Mexico do. We use the things that, that we're better than than anyone else to our advantage. The United States is a tremendous consumer of goods, so we like to use that as leverage to get people to do what we want. We are a, a very technologically advanced country, so we use things like automation and, and, and technological advancement to our advantage. We have an amazing infrastructure for logistics. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. Every country has something we use to our advantage. The question is if using it to their advantage is unfair. And again, you can make an argument about what is and what is not unfair. Um, you know, at Harvard, they taught us that if you're able to price your goods or, 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 or find some way to manage the pricing of your goods, it's called capitalism. <laughs> but uh, what do I know? 
So I think you know the, the best description I can give you for this is I went to Vietnam one year and everybody was driving around with scooters and nobody had helmets on. I went back a year later with my friend Mark Hong and the two of us were going to the uh, hotel and everybody suddenly had helmets on. And we asked our, our coworker there in Vietnam, you know, how, how is this the case? And he said, oh, it's easy. Um, one of the senior members of the Central Communist Party bought a helmet factory. So think about that, right? You have everybody getting around on their own personal scooter who suddenly has to wear a, um, suddenly has to wear a helmet because someone in power with the ability to change regulations created a law while also creating a, a, a manufacturing facility for these helmets. That's a good way to look at how most communist countries are, are managing economic issues. Um, first comes the opportunity, then comes the regulation. So I'm not sure what's going to go on there. Uh, you know, if Biden were to win, I think that we would be, well, we'd be naive to think that this could not still go into play. There are a lot of political forces who like to see some sort of trade, um, you know, resiliency in the U.S. And the pandemic has certainly given them reason to be a little louder. So uh, the left and the Democratic Party have always been big fans of trying to find ways to um, curb the Chinese, to curb foreign manufacturing. And I think you're going to find that Again, Mr. Biden will probably try to find ways to more quickly um, deal with these these trade issues and try to get the China issue taken care of. But I think they'll also try to find ways to get what's going on with Vietnam under control because Mr. Biden has said he would like to see the United States in a trade agreement uh, called the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP. He wants to see us back into that. And of course, Vietnam is one of the more important countries in the TPP. So in order for us to be engaged there, we'd, we'd have to be involved in that as well. So, um, you know, either way, I think you're going to see a quick resolution to this. I think, again, that they're a pawn. I think Vietnam is being used as a pawn, much like I think that uh, countries like Indonesia, Malaysia are also being used as pawns, um, India to some degree as well. So, uh, you know, I'll certainly be watching that. I think from a logistics perspective, what's fascinating to me here is what's next. So if, if there are suddenly big, massive tariffs on Vietnamese goods, does production then get shifted down the line? Do things go to Indonesia? Does manufacturing go to Malaysia? Uh, are we going to see even more manufacturing happening in Mexico, maybe other parts of South America? There's been a resurgence in places like Colombia, as an example. Or do we stick around in Asia and does this move to Cambodia, which in and of itself is problematic because the same people who are operating these manufacturing plants in Vietnam are the same companies who've invested in Cambodia. And they're also Chinese and they're also backed by communist money. And they're also, it's the same problem all over again. So if you move production to Cambodia, which seems to be the next reasonable place, right? A year from now, you could find yourself in the same place and we'll almost end up living in this world of uh manufacturing and logistics whack-a-mole where every time we turn around we gotta find something else to deal with as we you know beat down this problem so um it's a big problem it's a big question and i think we should all be watching it closely because here's the deal guys you know we keep telling you all all, all these people that are working in dc we, we, we told you gsp is probably going to be a problem with india you guys should be very aware that the 301 tariffs in China are going to happen. 
Europe and the U.S. are going to be engaged in a trade war, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We kept bringing this stuff up, and you didn't listen. You didn't listen to us when we just constantly brought up the fact that we, we saw these things coming down the line. This one's coming down the line. And I'm not saying to be chicken little and run into the office and say the sky is falling, the sky is falling. But here's what I am saying. I'm saying that you probably need to take some time and find out from a production perspective how much of your stuff is being imported from from China, uh, from Vietnam, excuse me. If you're buying things domestically, how many of your vendors actually source material from Vietnam, whether it's raw material or the finished goods? And are they taking care to understand this is coming down the line? Do they have a plan B and a plan C? In a post-pandemic America, our supply chains have an expectation on them that we have a backup and a backup to the backup, that we understand the contingencies and the requirements of contingencies with regards to our supply chains. So I think it's time that you, you know, download some articles from the Wall Street Journal. This is in every major news source and take the time to say to people, you know, it looks like this is real. It looks like we're going to have an issue here. So do us all a favor. Do us all a big favor and, um, you know, take a deep, dark look at it, guys. And figure out if we have to have a plan B and if we should get moving on it, because we could be three months, six months away from having to manage this problem. Right, so um, that's really going to be it for today. If you could, please subscribe, review the podcast, ask your friends to listen to the podcast. And as I have been pointing out recently, if you will please send an email with any questions you have, love to answer them live on the air. Um, if we do use your question on the air, uh, I will send you a autographed Trade Geek poster of the uh, wonderful art that was done by Ed Smith, the cartoonist Ed Smith that we use for the podcast. I will autograph it and personalize it so that you can put it um, in your office, in your cubicle, um, over your mantelpiece at home, possibly in your bedroom, whatever it will take to uh, entertain and excite your guests and friends. I'm not sure why anybody wants one, but people keep asking me for one, so I figure this will be a good way to to uh, be reasonable and um, and intelligent about how many we give away because they are a little bit expensive to get printed up, by the way. Um, yeah, 24 by 18 is not cheap. So in any case, I uh, love the questions. Follow me on LinkedIn as I get more information about what's going on with this issue. That's the first place I put information up. And then as I get a more pointed, um, a clearer indication of what's happening, I try to knock out a podcast. Every other Friday, we will be continuing trade school. If you'd like to learn more about trade school, I am delighted that the good folks at TAPA, the Transport Transportation Asset Protection Association, are uh, managing and producing the um, all, all of Trade School's content now. Just amazing, you know, tens of thousands of members all around the world uh, coming in to see Trade School. And, uh, you know, today is the 6th, so that means on the 10th, Friday the 10th, we will be um, handling Trade School. Just jump onto the TAPA website, or come on to LinkedIn. There's always the links there for trade school. Once you're in, I believe that you're in and subscribed. And uh, we do it every other week. And um, I'm taking it pretty seriously, guys, and making sure that we're putting up the kind of content that you've been asking for and keeping you well engaged on great content to help educate you. What happens here on the podcast is I like to spend time talking about current issues, what's going on with regards to um, with regards to trade school is I'm going to be trying to educate you. And we have something pretty cool in the mix. 
So if I was going to say there was a big announcement, this is probably it. Um, I'm working with some people that many of you know to, um, to put out a weekly web television program. So it looks like every week we're going to have about a 20-minute web television program. Um, and it will not just be me. It'll be a couple of my friends as well. And we're going to talk about issues of global international trade and logistics. And it will be available every single week. So fresh content every week in video format. You'll get to see my gorgeous visage on your phone or whatever device it is that you're working with. We'll keep it short, we'll keep it to the point, and we'll keep it chock full of great information. The idea is to educate you as best we can in trade school, keep you up to date with what's going on here um, as soon as information breaks, and then once a week kind of give you a wrap-up of, of what's going on with this web television show. I'm pretty excited about it. Um, I'll tell you more after we record the first one. And then lastly, you know, on a personal note, um, going out on my own and starting my own consulting firm was terrifying. That's, that's the easiest way to put it, guys. You know, I'm, I'm, I've always worked for someone else. I've always worked with someone else. And the fact that so many of you have reached out, the fact that so many of you have engaged me, frankly, and decided to work with me, put me on retainers, whatever the case may be, has been touching. So for all of you that have been following the content that I put online, for the many of you who have reached out and actually given me an opportunity to serve you, in these first couple of months of working on my own. I, I cannot thank you enough. It really was very touching, and I will not forget that. I've always been here for everybody in the trade. I've never turned my back on anyone, and it's nice to see that in the long run, that kind of karma paid off. So if you need me, I'm here. Um, please do email the show at pete.mento at mentollc.com. That's pete.mento at m-e-n-t-o-l-l-c.com. Have a great week. If you need anything, reach out, and for God's sakes, folks, Stay compliant. All right. Take care.